from Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. I note that in the the past few hours, a proposal made by the United States leaked to a European news outlet. We did not make this document public. But now that it is... That was Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby speaking on Wednesday about the release of the response from the U.S. and NATO to proposed terms of de-escalation from Moscow that were sent to those two parties back in December. Originally intended to remain classified, documents published by El País on Wednesday revealed that the U.S. and NATO rejected Russia's request that the alliance halt its eastward expansion, and NATO's response also reiterated its report for what it said was the, quote, right of other states to choose or change security arrangements, closed quote. That was in response to Russia's demand that it accept neither Ukraine nor any other members. Both documents also called on Moscow to, quote, withdraw from Ukraine, closed quote, suggesting that Washington wants Russia to hand over Crimea, including the major Russian naval base at Sevastopol, to Kiev. Kirby instead announced the deployment of additional NATO and U.S. military forces around and in Ukraine. Now let me lay this out for you in a series of three steps. First, 1,000 soldiers that are currently based in Germany will reposition to Romania in the coming days. Now this is a, a striker squadron a mounted cavalry unit that's designed to deploy in short order and to move quickly once in place. And they will augment the some uh, 900 U.S. forces that are currently in Romania. Now, this force is designed to deter aggression and enhance our defensive capabilities in frontline allied states. And we expect them, as I said, to move in coming days. Secretary Austin discussed this repositioning to Romania just last week in his conversation with the Romanian Minister of Defense. And uh, again, I want to stress uh, that this move is coming at the express invitation of the Romanian government. Additionally, we welcome French President Macron's announcement that France intends to deploy forces to Romania under NATO command, which Secretary Austin discussed with the French Defense Minister Florence Parley just last week. The United States will continue to consult and coordinate with France and all our allies uh, to ensure that we complement each other in our respective deployments. Uh, And of course, we're going to continue to work through NATO to make appropriate defensive and non-escalatory force posture alignments. Second, we are moving uh, an additional force of about approximately 2,000 troops from the United States to Europe in the next few days. The 82nd Airborne Division is deploying components of an infantry brigade combat team and key enablers to Poland, and the 18th Airborne Corps is moving a joint task force-capable headquarters to Germany. Both of them, as you know, are based in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Collectively, this force is trained and equipped for a variety of missions to deter aggression and to reassure and to defend our allies. Not surprisingly, we work very closely with our Polish and German allies to set the stage for these movements, and we absolutely appreciate their support. Again, these are not permanent moves. 
They respond to current conditions. We will adjust our posture as those conditions evolve. Third, and finally, all of these forces are separate and in addition to the 8,500 personnel in the United States on heightened alert posture that I announced last week. Those 8,500 are not currently being deployed but remain ready to move if called uh, for the NATO response force or as needed for other contingencies as directed by the Secretary or by President Biden. We continue to review our force posture and the situation in Europe, and we will make adjustments as the situation warrants. I also want to take this opportunity to correct some misconceptions around last week's announcement. Uh, NATO as an organization does not have veto power over U.S. uh, troop deployments, and media reports to the contrary represent a mischaracterization of that. Nothing precludes the United States from making its own decisions on uh, force movements, uh, including those forces that are being placed on heightened readiness. That said, any movement of U.S. forces involves consultation with the host nation, as we have done with Romania and Poland and Germany prior to today's announcements. And we're mindful of the competing needs of operational security and our obligation to be transparent, and we'll provide you additional information on these and other movements as available and as appropriate. As we have long said, we are continuously reviewing our posture, so there may soon be additional posture decisions to announce, including movements that are part of ongoing military exercises. This is not the sum total of the deterrence actions we will take or those to reassure our allies. I think it won't surprise you we take a theater-wide approach to deterrence and defense, and we welcome the additional announcements uh, by Spain, Denmark, the U.K., and the Netherlands of their consideration to deploy additional forces to reinforce NATO's eastern flank. The United States has robust capabilities distributed across Europe, including in the Baltic region, and we will continue to assess needs in that area in cooperation with the relevant allies and, of course, the full NATO alliance. We stand united. We have said that repeatedly. We say it again today. These movements are unmistakable signals to the world that we stand ready to reassure our NATO allies and and defend against any aggression. Now, as the Secretary said Friday, we do not know if Russia has made a final decision to further invade Ukraine. But it clearly has that capability. The Department of Defense will continue to support diplomatic efforts led by the White House and the State Department to press for resolution. We do not believe conflict is inevitable. The United States, in lockstep with our allies and partners, has offered Russia a path to de-escalate. But we will take all prudent measures to assure our own security and that of our allies. Kirby's announcement at the Pentagon of the deployments to Europe of U.S. troops and the deployments of NATO troops to Ukraine and Romania ended up as a discussion at the State Department briefing. This was Associated Press reporter Matt Lee questioning State Department spokesperson Ned Price. The Pentagon made its announcement this morning. I don't expect you to have any additional details about that But then uh, uh, on that. But I'm just wondering if... Uh, the Russian reaction to that deployment that was announced uh, has been that you guys are escalating now escalating tensions and I'm pretty sure I know what your response will be to that but I'd like to get it anyway and then secondly your colleague at the White House just said that you are no longer the administration is no longer going to refer to or is no longer referring to 
a potential Russian invasion as imminent uh, because that might send the wrong signal. And I'm just wondering, especially in the context of you saying that this is the year anniversary of getting up and telling us what the U.S. policy is, if, uh, you know, what, what, was it a mistake to be calling it imminent in the, in the first place? If you didn't really know, what was the point? Why were, why were you describing this as something that could, like, happen, you know, at the, at the snap of a finger? If now, was it what Putin said yesterday? What, what was it? Uh, so, thank you, Matt. Well, first on your first question. Look, I don't think anyone here is going to be surprised by the reaction you've noted of the Russian Federation. I mean, this is uh, literally their playbook uh, to uh, turn uh, the reality upside down. The metaphor uh, we've used that my colleague at the White House uh, used, paraphrasing uh, our boss here at the State Department, this is literally uh, the Fox uh, claiming that it had no choice but to attack the hen house. Uh, this is talk about Groundhog Day. Uh, yeah, but you know it's actually in the fox's nature to attack the the, the hen house. That's, a, that's what foxes do. So yeah, maybe that's is that a, a, is that a statement about the the no no country, I just or? think it's a it might be a poor analogy because the fox. Okay. You know. Well, I will I will let you choose your analogy, but I think you get the underlying point uh, and. One other um, analogy, as it were, is, is our concern is, is this idea of Groundhog Day, uh, because we have seen this before. Uh, we have seen something like this before, at least. It was eight years ago, uh, just about, when the Russians amassed troops on Ukraine's borders. The Russians engaged uh, in misinformation, in disinformation, in propaganda, seeking to portray uh, Ukraine uh, as the aggressor, uh, the Russians then took it one step further, manufactured a pretextual provocation uh, that they then cited as a means by which uh, to aggress against Ukraine and to uh, undertake uh, an incursion into sovereign Ukrainian territory. Uh, so what we are doing, and my colleague at the Pentagon spoke to this uh, at the orders of the president, uh, these are about uh, deterrent and defensive measures. Uh, these are measures that we have spoken to in broad strokes uh, over several weeks, noting that uh, given what we are seeing, the amassing of troops, the bellicose rhetoric, uh, the history uh, that is at play here, it is only prudent uh, for us to take steps um, in the past several weeks to provide defensive security assistance to our Ukrainian partners, uh, and we've done that at an unprecedented level that we've uh, spoken to in some detail. Uh, and the president also made clear uh, that uh, both in the event of uh, a Russian invasion and uh, as a means to deter and to defend our allies on the eastern flank against broader aggression, we would be taking defensive and deterrent steps. And that is precisely what uh, the Pentagon spoke to uh, today. Many of these forces, as you heard, are already in the European theater. Uh, these are not permanent moves. They are in precisely in response to the current security environment uh, in light of this increasingly threatening behavior uh, by the Russian Federation. These troops, as you all know, they are not going to fight in Ukraine. Uh, they are going to ensure the robust defense of NATO territory. 
uh, that is something to which we have a solemn commitment, a solemn commitment under uh, Article 5. Uh, this is just another unmistakable signal to the rest of the world, uh, to any countries uh, that would uh, threaten that uh, collective security, that collective defense of our NATO allies, uh, that we are committed uh, to the alliance, we're committed to our allies, we're committed to Article 5. When it comes to the second part of your question, what, what comes next, Matt, we've always been clear. Uh, there's only one person who knows uh, what the Russians may have in store. Uh, we don't believe that individual uh, who happens to be the president of the Russian Federation has made a decision one way or another. Uh, what has been our concern uh, is what we have spoken to since November. These unusual movements of Russian troops, the massive buildup uh, along the Ukrainian border, uh, the inflow of Russian forces into what should be a sovereign, independent country, country of Belarus, uh, all of these steps have positioned the Russians to be uh, able to move quickly, should they so choose. Uh, no one, I don't believe, has been encouraging panic. Uh, no one has been saying an invasion is a foregone conclusion. Uh, what we have been doing is speaking to our concern. It has been a growing level of concern as uh, Moscow's uh, aggressiveness uh, and assertiveness has itself grown. Uh, but what we are doing is preparing for that. We are engaging in dialogue and diplomacy just as uh, we pursue the path of defense and deterrence. So you, you have no, there, there, there were no concerns that you're getting people worked up for, not nothing, but getting people up, worked up and, 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 and panicking. That's not why you're why you're stepping away from the imminence thing? Matt, what we've been doing for weeks now uh, is uh, far from seeking to sow panic. Uh, we have been seeking to uh, explain our concern. Uh, and you get a lot of people's attention by saying imminence and, you know, we think that this well, is... Well, this is something that should have people's attention. We, well, we believe I'm not that. saying it shouldn't, but, I'm, but, uh, but you guys used, very deliberately used those words like this could happen like you know in the snap of a finger and now it seems a little less so i'm just wondering i don't think you are going to hear us say uh this is off the table i don't think you are going to hear us say this is a foregone conclusion but uh, you were you will hear us saying and you have heard us say uh that we are taking preparations for whichever path vladimir putin chooses I, I get that but i mean is the decision not to use not to describe this as a minute based on what president putin said yesterday or is it based on something else what what is it based on? Or is it based on the complaints from the Ukrainians that you're getting people stoked up and, and put into a panic? What, why? Our, our, our language, Matt, is always calibrated to what we're seeing. Uh, what we've so seen... It's, so it's less imminent now than it was yesterday? I, I, think, you were, I think you were reading far too much uh, <laughs> into, uh, into, what you, uh, into what you may have heard. Meanwhile, while the State Department and the White House parse the terminology, whether or not the current situation constitutes an imminent danger... The view from Moscow must be quite different. On Wednesday, German Defense Ministry spokesperson Arne Kolatz said that so far, Germany had successfully trained a total of 551 members of Ukraine's armed forces in Germany. Wir haben insgesamt bisher 551 Angehörige der ukrainischen Streitkräfte in Deutschland erfolgreich ausgebildet. There were currently five members of the Ukrainian armed forces there, with two of them high senior officers taking part 
in general staff training. Fallstabsausbildung mitmachen und drei weitere in einer eher sanitätsfachlichen, ähm, höheren sanitätsfachlichen Ausbildung. And although the State Department, the White House and the Pentagon claim that all of this is about protecting the sovereignty of Ukraine, there are still nagging questions relating to a telephone call dating back to February of 2014, mere days before the removal of the elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, in favor of a coup d'etat, which placed in power, among others, ultranationalists who swear fealty to the disgraced Nazi collaborator, the late Stepan Bandera. This is the U.S. Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Newland, speaking with the then U.S. Ambassador to Kiev, Jeffrey Pyatt, as they selected the next leaders of Ukraine's government via telephone. What do you think? I think we're in play. Um, the the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here, um, especially the announcement of him as deputy prime minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think – in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Boak and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I'm I, kinda... I, I, just, I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think, that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him as the next step? My understanding from that call, but you tell me, was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yats was going to offer in that context a, a three-way, you know, the three-plus-one conversation or three-plus-two with you. Is that not how you understood it? No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that's been with them where um, Klitschko has been the top dog, he's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got, and he's probably talking to his guys at this point, so... I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three, and it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down and he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it. Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after? Okay, will do. Thanks. Okay, I've now written – oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the U.N. guy, Robert Seri. Did I write yeah. you that this morning? Yeah, okay. I saw that. He, he's now gotten both Seri and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Seri could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the U.N. help glue it and, you know, 
Fuck the EU. No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does, if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych did that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. But uh, anyway, we could uh, we could land jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we can probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So Biden's willing. Okay, great. While Washington obscures and obfuscates about the actual conditions surrounding the present conflict, Russia's government has taken a different tact that seems to be baffling Western media. They are dealing in facts. This is Russia's ambassador to Spain, Yuri Korchagin, who held a press conference early Thursday speaking about the Ukrainian conflict. We prepared a folder with materials that may be of interest for you. We have the two draft treaties that Russia delivered to NATO and to the United States. There are also the Minsk agreements uh, that were adopted in 2015, but unfortunately so far many have not read them, and we have also other documents, for example, extracts uh, from the Istanbul Declaration that was adopted in 1999 and the Astana Declaration that was adopted on in 2010 that talk about the indivisible security. Uh, we have them both in English and in Spanish and we prepared these documents for you to make it easier for you to find this information should you want to find it online somewhere. And we have always wanted to be there to assist you, but um, since uh, this is at the beginning of the year 2022, we also uh, prepared for you some calendars and uh, this calendar is devoted to the magnificent Russian art, and um, you will find a lot of useful information there, maybe in your offices and at your desks. We do think uh, that uh, we'll have this meeting for an hour, an hour and a half, more or less. We have uh, some time constraints, of course. 
European security is a very important subject, and um, the media tend to talk about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, but as a matter of fact, Russia does not intend to attack Ukraine. And this is a very important uh, point in terms of regional security. Unfortunately, the scenario that has been playing out in the media does nothing to facilitate dialogue or find solutions. We are seeing fake news uh, that Russia has built up a major military force on the border with Ukraine, without mentioning, however, that Ukraine, according to multiple sources, has about 160,000 troops on its eastern border. It is also uh, said that Russia could face unprecedented sanctions from the West in order to make sure that Russia pays a very high price, but no one is saying that all this at the end of the day will hurt the people. The ones who suffer are ordinary people, and I will demonstrate this to you and I will provide examples of uh, how businesses suffer who work here in Spain, for example, last December. So Russia delivered to the United States and NATO draft agreements on security guarantees and these instruments are intended to secure Russia's borders and to make sure that these agreements are legally binding. The security situation in Europe has been deteriorating in the wake of the several waves during which NATO expanded to the east. So with this eastward expansion, NATO included new members into its organization. This way, NATO forgot about the promises not to expand beyond the order line as was promised in, to Russia in 1990s. This way, the alliance redefined itself in order to contain Russia, considering Russia as a security threat for the North Atlantic region, as we heard during multiple NATO events today, we need to build in Europe a security system that would be based on, on the principles enshrined in the key OSC instruments. Uh, as well. So this includes the 1999 Istanbul Declaration and the 2010 Astana Declaration of the OSCE.
There are also other documents to this effect. The first document in its paragraph 8 says that every state has the right to choose or change its security arrangements and partnership agreements and at the same time to respect the rights of other countries and not to reinforce one security at the expense of the security of others. Paragraph 3 in the Astana Declaration points out that the security of any states is related to the security of other states, which means that all countries must respect each other's security and not to reinforce one's security at the expense of the security of others. There is also the code, the security code that was signed in 1994, and according to this document, it is clearly said that uh, when countries choose security guarantees like being part of alliances, Countries must take into consideration the legitimate interests of other countries. All these documents were signed by all OSCE member states, including the United States, Germany, France, and Spain. And these documents provide for the support by these countries to the principle of indivisible security and the need to fulfill uh, these obligations. So there is uh, this right of every country to freely choose military alliances and the obligation for any state not to reinforce one security at the expense of the security of other countries. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.